Greetings to all of you. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny, to discover the purpose for which they exist and this whole creation exists, which is only found in the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, who is who the one true eternal God is and could only be. And for those that are new, I refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com, where there's a flipbook with original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me, and there you will discover many uh, links that are highlighted in red print that go to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. Now this message is to those that have come to know the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal through Jesus Christ. This is a message in this time of great crisis to the churches, especially here where I live in Canada and in the United States and to the churches throughout the world. As to what God is saying, I seek to speak as the oracles of God because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we as genuine Christians come together around Jesus Christ, we are to seek each of us to allow God to speak through us by his Spirit. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we speak as the oracles of God, we are prophesying. We are speaking words that are beyond ourselves. And how does that happen? It happens when we worship God in spirit and in truth with great humility and reverence and love towards God. We are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can come forth in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves to edify one another and to build one another up. And so what I do to facilitate that is I cast lots with two independent random applications on the internet to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible. And I do it with two so that I get two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to the theme that God would be speaking. And so then I spend only a half an hour meditating on those two chapters. And I trust God to speak through me instead of having a bunch of stuff prepared. All I do is copy and paste mostly the scriptures and maybe I might have a sentence or two of notes. But this allows God to speak as I seek to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And this is something that should be very much practiced in the assemblies throughout the world. We should all and especially the leadership, but everyone should be seeking to allow God to speak through them prophetically out of a genuine heart-love relationship with God. 
I also choose a hymn out of a hymn book of 1,080 hymns. And so we are going to sing and worship the hymn I've got. Most of these hymns I don't know myself. They come from throughout church history, and many are also from the underground church in China. Through the work of Wachamani, who was martyred in 1972 by the Chinese Communist Party in China. And so these songs are also very rich with deep meaning. So today we will worship with this song and then I will share what I received. And I really don't know what I'm going to share. In fact, today it was, there's a theme there, but it's kind of vague and I just have to trust God that as I am in a heart set and mindset of worship out of love towards God and towards his people, that his word will prevail to awaken you to the fullness of destiny that God has for you and for your assembly. So here we go with the worship song first. Here we come. We're going to just go to that worship song in a moment here. Whenever we meet with Christ in do the surplus of his plenitude, we offer unto God as food, and thus exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. We'll bring Christ we fight, on Christ we labor day and night, and with his surplus we unite, to thus exhibit Christ. Our life and all we are and do, is Christ himself the substance true, that every time we meet anew, we may exhibit Christ. Let us exhibit Christ, let us exhibit Christ, we'll bring his surplus to the church, and thus Christ to God we pair, and Christ with one another share. And Christ with God enjoying care, we thus exhibit Christ. The risen Christ to God we bring, and Christ ascended offering. God's satisfaction and serene, we thus exhibit Yeah. 
that we can exhibit the glory of God in our midst as we learn to come out of our passivity in a love relationship with God out of worship and to allow that to overflow in our lives. And God is wanting to awake us as his people up to have that abundance of his glory and that feast in our midst. And let's remember that this is either the last day or the second from last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what is that feast? The Jewish, even the Orthodox Jews, say that that feast is not just for them, but it is for the Gentiles. In fact, it says in the last days, in the millennial reign of Christ, that all nations will be celebrating that feast. And what is the significance of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called Sukkot? It is the marriage of God with his people. It is God dwelling in habitation with his people. And it has many symbols and representations in it, which I will not get into in this time. They have to build a booth, and it has to be built so that you live in it and are exposed a bit to the cold of the elements and so on. And the roof has to have many holes in it so that you can see the stars and so on. This speaks of not becoming insular in our heart being caught up with the spin of our own life and our own world, but of being aware that we are pilgrims in this world who seek a city whose builder and maker is God, that it is not here that we seek to put all our focus and resources. No, our main and wholehearted focus is fully on the coming kingdom of God, the heaven that will invade this world. And there is coming a time when it will fully invade this earth and heaven will conquer hell on this earth. And there will be the millennial reign of Christ and after that, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And so I want to share with you what I received today from the word of God. So we will now go to Isaiah 65. I received in Luke 5. And really, there's not, by outward appearance and first impressions on my part, any significance of a theme between these two chapters. And yet I got them by the casting of what? But there is. Because many times when I speak, I don't know the theme until I start speaking. And there is revelation that comes while I'm speaking, sometimes, in such a way that the theme comes forth while I'm speaking. But I do see a measure of a theme in these two chapters. Both of these chapters talk about wine. In Isaiah 65, it is used to illustrate God calling forth the remnant of his people that are truly his people. And in Luke chapter 5, it is talking about the wine skins and how new wine must be put into new wine skins. That is certainly one thing that is common in both of those chapters. 
Now, I first received Isaiah 65 by lot, so I do want to go there and begin to read from verse beginning in verse 5 of Isaiah 65, and we'll probably just go from verse 5 to uh, verse 7 or so. So I'm just going to start there. It's basically God is reproving Israel in those first verses because they're sacrificing in the gardens incense to foreign gods, to demons, really. And he talks about how there are people that are provoking him to anger continually. And then we begin in verse 5, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense, into their bosom. God's anger is burning hot against them. He is determined that they shall receive their due reward of rebellion against the God of truth. He goes on to say, Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. And then he says this, verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, which is Yahweh in the original, as the new wine is found in the cluster. And one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So what I see here is a picture of grapes that maybe are beginning to wither and get a bit overly ripe, overly rotten, a little bit of rot. So they're saying, well, that's no good. And someone is saying, no, just take those grapes on the outside off because inside there's some really good grapes there that are great for wine. So God is saying this, and he says, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. The word elect is a word that is often used in the scripture, both in the New and the Old Testament. And it doesn't mean that there's certain ones that God chooses and there's others that he doesn't choose and that will always be that way. God does not negate free will. We have a choice and we can choose to serve God. Choose you this day whom ye will serve is what Elijah said to Israel when the fire came down and devoured the sacrifice and exposed the heathen gods that they were all following. If the Lord be God, let the fire come down and devour the sacrifice and serve him. And if your heathen gods are so powerful, let's see what they do. And God displayed his glory and they turned to God in great repentance. We go on and we read in Isaiah 65. Then some wonderful prophetic utterances. Speaking of 
the millennial reign and even beyond to the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. So God is not only expressing his anger that these people would see and, and, and he's bringing forth very strong reproof because he wants them to repent. But he's also encouraging those that have been living in the midst of this great apostasy with what he will do for them and their upcoming inheritance of glory. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Acre, a place for herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. This is the emphasis. Have we been those that have consistently in our lives been seeking him? Or have we been putting the cares of this world and our concerns for whatever that concern might be before him? So that we have not sought him. I have noticed in the last few days when I've been casting lots that there has been this emphasis upon the remnant, the elect being those that have sought him. And they are the ones that are spared. But ye are they that forsake Yahweh, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. And he goes on and pronounces judgment against them. I want to go on and skip down to verse 15 here. And it says, And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. For the Lord God shall slay them and call his servants by another name. And this happened in the time of Christ. After, just after the time of Christ, when he returned back to heaven. After that, the church was birthed. There was Pentecost. And then there was a time when a new name was given, which was Christian, followers of the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Christian. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And Christ also said that unless you forsake all, you cannot be my disciples. So the disciples, those that are learners of God, that are followers of God, are those that forsake all. And it was the disciples that were first called Christians at Antioch. For the Lord God will call his servants by another name, that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. Truth. There's a lot that I could talk about on defining this word truth. God is the God of truth. In fact, God is truth. You say, how? Define truth. Pilate said to Christ, what is truth? What is truth? Truth is certainly what is real, because that's what the dictionaries define truth as, is that which is real or reality. And reality is defined in dictionaries, basically, as that which is immovable, unshakable, indestructible. The word Yahweh basically has that meaning in it. It is 
the I am that I am that is separate and above and beyond creation. Christ called himself Yahweh. And Yahweh had fellowship with Abraham in Genesis 18 in a physical body with two angels in a physical body. And they ate together and Abraham addressed the most sacred name of God, Yahweh. There he talked with Yahweh and ate with Yahweh. Yes, Christ appeared to Abraham before he was incarnated. And here in this scripture, he goes on and we read about this God of truth. And, and truth is that quality that is able to contain and channel. If you build an object or you build an airplane or whatever, every part must be true. If it's something that's to contain something, it can't have a crack in it. It's a, if it's something that's to support or hold something tight, it must be totally straight. So truth is a quality that can properly contain and channel power as well. It is like a glass that is diamond in which there is no cracks that can contain water without that water being able to leak out. And Christ said of the children of Israel in Jeremiah, you have hewn for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. But God is the one that is the very source of living waters of eternal life. Truth is also not only reality, it is what is behind the reality, which is this ultimate perfection of love, who God is. First, in the integrity and purity of love, it is a love that is the highest form of love, which is the agape love, that is beyond feeling, is greater than feeling. It is a choice that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This is agape love. It is a love that is so pure and has such integrity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. This is the defensive aspect of the being of God, the holiness of God. That is one aspect of the truth of who God is. God is truth. And the other aspect of this love is that it is so great in its integrity and purity and its ultimate manifestation of it that God has that quality and always has had that quality in his being from the infinite past for he is beyond time. And there are many dimensions of time, by the way. He has always had that quality in his being that he could come to this world and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, as a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for you and for this whole world. And I'm writing a book on life after death, about 350 pages, highly researched, coming out very soon. I'm just going through the spelling and almost got all the grammar and stuff done. But there it is very clear in heaven. 
They say that the, this God, the God which lights everything up in heaven with such brightness, there's no shade. The brightness would incinerate your eyes in, if you're in a physical body. They, the people that have been there that are Christians, genuine Christians that have highly been verified to have been dead, have said that this is how bright it is because you're in your supernatural spiritual body, which is far superior to the physical body and can experience being very physical, running on the ground and drinking and feeling, eating from the fruit and even feeling the juice come down your ch cheek. Yeah, that's what, that's how real your spiritual body is. It's way more real than the physical body, let me tell you even though you're going to be raised from the dead with a physical body someday, it's nothing compared to your spiritual body. Those that have died can highly verify that. But there in heaven, the source of the light, the source of all the beautiful colors, and there's colors that exist that don't exist in this physical dimension. The source of all the intelligence, even the plants communicate and talk and the trees talk and everything worships and communicates. You can talk with a... You know, you can communicate and talk with the plants and the trees and everything is worshiping God and all that is behind it is this life that flows from the throne. It is coming from the love. They know it's the love that is causing it. And it's such an intense love that it's way beyond anything in this very inferior physical dimension. It's so beyond our comprehension, this love and how great it is in heaven. And they say when they are loved to Christ there and he, they stand before Christ, they feel like they are the apple of his eye, like they are the only one in the universe and he loves them so much that they know that he would have died just for them and suffered just for them. They get the very clear re, real feeling of this intense love that he would have done all of that just for them. And they are filled with thankfulness that's overflowing. This is the two aspects of the love of God. First, the holiness of his love that will not tolerate sin, that judges sin, from which springs the mercy of his love manifested in his perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. This is who, and this is what truth is. It is these two aspects of love. Who is who God is? It is only this that can contain unlimited life and unlimited power and authority without being corrupted by that or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the very source and the very one God of truth. God is calling us as his people today to return to the genuine fear of God and to have a lifestyle of seeking him as never before. The church must return to becoming his house of prayer and holiness. Now I could go on talking a lot more here, but I want to read and continue to read about this God of truth, which I noticed I was getting in other things that I cast earlier this week where I couldn't speak. The God of truth. Because the former, so he goes on here and he says, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. 
but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create for behold. I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And then it goes on to describe the millennial reign, which is not the new heavens and the new earth, but what will be when Christ returns to rule on the earth for a thousand years. Now, how does this relate to Luke chapter 5? Well, God knows. We'll just read Luke here. And there are various things that are here in Luke, but the one thing that is the common theme with Isaiah 65 is in Luke on what Christ described of the why. So we'll see if I first of all got the right chapter here. No, I don't. Somehow I went to what was yesterday's stuff. We'll do it again. There we are. And so we read at the last part of Luke chapter 5. But before we do that, a little more of the contrast. Because... It's the Pharisees throughout this chapter that are always critical of Christ and they're always questioning him about everything. And so they come to him and they say unto him in verse 33, why do thy disciples, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, can ye make the children of the bridegroom fast? while the bridegroom is with them, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he also spake a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new wine maketh a rent, and the piece that is taken out of the, the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put in new bottles and both are preserved. And no man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. And so we have in Isaiah 65, the cluster of grapes representing the remnant that God will spare. And here we see that the wine, the new wine, would represent the remnant. But the old skin represents those that are set in their ways because they do not know a living relationship with God. They only have the letter. It is described in Isaiah 28 where it describes, first of all, a child sucking as a, on its mother's breast, and it says, here a little, there a little, referring to receiving from the word of God as a child sucking from its mother's breast. And then it repeats it in Isaiah 28, and it says again, here a little, there a little, referring to those that were really in 
to being. Theologians, like they would be mentioned today, you know, the Pharisees, really into the letter of the law and so on. And they're going, and so it says again, repeats it, here a little, there a little, little, that they might fall backward and be snared. They need to fall in order to come to true conversion. Genuine conversion comes when one really has a genuine turning from their heart. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3 towards the end, but whenever the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away, referring to the reading of the law concerning the Orthodox Jews in the time of Christ. Whenever the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What causes the heart to turn to the Lord is to choose to enter into the genuine fear of God. And what is the genuine fear of God? It is a choice to acknowledge God for who he could only be to be almighty God that aligns with the conscience that knows that for there to be good, evil must be judged to preserve that good. It is an acknowledgement first of the requirement of judgment and that God's love is so pure that it will not tolerate sin. And that this is not evil, like some that get so focused on why is God allowing all this suffering in my life and suffering around me in this world, and we become bitter and unthankful. And then we begin to have a perverted view of God, like Cain, that he's some kind of dictator that requires sacrifice and appeasement. And so Cain set up an idolatrous city in the pre-flood world that also was set up in the first city, Urudu, if I'm pronouncing it right. And then from there, there was Nineveh that was built by Nimrod, who was about 15 or 16 feet tall, by the way. I won't go into that. But they had already devolved to a point of many gods because of a perverted view of God. And at that time, to a monotheistic, idolatrous view of God like Cain that probably came from what they knew of the time before the flood, And they call, and it was the moon god. That was who Abraham had to come out of, was that idolatry of the moon god, which can be traced to the Babylonian civilization. And from there, throughout history, you can trace it to that stone that the Muslims walk around where one of the gods is called the moon god, which is the one that Mohammed chose, which is called the god. Yes, We do not want a perverted, idolatrous view of God in our hearts. But the genuine fear of God acknowledges that God's holiness is good and that he can be fully trusted to be good and to forgive us if we repent from our heart. Because God has always had that quality in his being to be a perfect atoning sacrifice and he was slain before the world was created. There was a reality in God before the world was created as if it had already happened. 
the genuine fear of God acknowledges those two aspects of God, the integrity of his love that requires judgment and the greatness of his love to have the power without violating the integrity of his love to be able to forgive us by God himself becoming a perfect atoning sacrifice, having that quality. It says in Micah 6, even if I gave of the fruit of my body, it wouldn't be sufficient to atone for the sins of my soul. Yes, the gospel was preached to Abraham. And yes, people were born again from the time of Adam on. Enoch walked so close with God that he was not. Do you think he wasn't born of the Spirit? Of course he was. There has always been a remnant whose heart has been clay before God. But Israel as a nation is prophesied in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that he will take their heart that is like stone and cause it in the last days out of the fear of God to be birthed into a new heart that is like flesh, that is flexible like these wineskins. God is calling us in this hour to be his people and to repent, to turn back to the genuine fear of God and to make his house a house of prayer and holiness. And I've written a book on it. I didn't realize that I had the book on Amazon at too high a price. I don't know why I had it at a higher price. I put it down at a really low price, so I make very little off it now. But it's called God Headship and Body Invasion. Unfortunately, in Canadian money, it's 16 some odd dollars still. But in American money, it's $9.95. And I could bring it down a bit lower yet, but I'm hardly going to make anything on it as it is. But that book is important because... It shares what we must do as local assemblies to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the body and be that new wineskin that can contain the glory of God in these last days so that we don't have another powerful revival like the Welsh revival that comes and goes it eventually fragments into powers of leadership and division. No, in this time, God is calling his people to repent of being denominative and to fulfill John 17. And there is a trumpet blowing, and it's blowing for me here for the body of Christ to wake up in each town and city across the nations, or across your nation, And call the churches together for three days of fasting and prayer. And if you can do an Esther fast, great. And let's really seek God. It's worth it. It's worth it all for your nation to be saved from the terrible tyranny that we see trying to overtake the United States and in many other nations of the world. Just go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com or at loverealize.com and and I've got links to very valid news sources that aren't lying like the media is. Almost everything they say is the opposite of the truth these days because they've been infiltrated over 30 years by the Chinese Communist Party and by the globalist elites which are in alignment with them. They want a one-world government where they can be dictators and control everyone. It's terrible what is happening. People don't even realize there's mass genocide happening now through the vaccines. People are dropping dead. Their morgues are overflowing. The statistics are out from the insurance companies and the morgues. They're out from the U.S. Army whistleblowers that have a very accurate database. An increase in those that have been vaccinated that is over 1,080% in neurological damage, including death. 
just in the neurological aspect and in many other aspects. That's what these vaccines are doing. And here, Klaus Schwab writes a book saying the world population should be reduced to 500 million from 7 billion. And who's a disciple of Klaus Schwab and the economic form and all this that's under him? Trudeau, Macron, and many others. Obama praises him, and yet they talk about this in the open. And you have these vaccines, and people are dropping dead, especially between the ages of 13 and 35 right now from myocarditis and blood clots. There's all kinds of videos on the internet where you can see them suddenly dropping dead, including news reporters talking on the news and suddenly dropping dead. We are living in a serious time and it's time for the church to wake up and to seek God as never before. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all. I have some difficult people I'm dealing with. One person that's unbelievable. I, they got real serious mental problems and pray that this person, God would give me wisdom to know how to deal with this person. So just pray for me about that. And, and I'm in going through a hard time financially right now. I'm believing God for breakthrough. Maybe this book on life after death will really take off. Um, I'll be announcing it when it comes out. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.